the overall theme for the series this summer is um, what the church needs to hear. When I, when I call the different speakers, uh, I told them that they have uh, the freedom to select a topic, uh, but the topic has to be underneath the umbrella, what the church needs to hear. And I thought that would uh, give them a good idea uh, because... Uh, uh, the church does need to hear some important messages, and so we'll have many different speakers bringing different messages underneath that theme. Our speaker uh, tonight is uh, Bob Gregg. Uh, a bit about him, uh, his background. Uh, as I read about it, um, 1952, if we go back that far, when he started uh, preaching, uh, helping establish a church in Okinawa while he was uh, in the uh, military, he holds a master's degree uh, from uh, Pepperdine um, University. Um, I knew him, the first time I met him was in the 90s. Uh, uh, he was the uh, pulpit minister for the Lacoma Church of Christ uh, in Mustang, not in Lacoma, but in Mustang. And I remember going out there to preach uh, a, similar, a similar thing on a Wednesday, uh, on a Wednesday night. He's... Uh, uh, been there since 1982, has retired from uh, the pulpit uh, in 2007, continue, and continues now as Minister Emeritus at Lacoma. I like that title, you know, Minister Emeritus. We'll have to talk about that with the elders, okay? And then uh, also, uh, I've, uh, I see him uh, quite often at Oklahoma Christian. He's adjunct professor of Bible there, um, uh, 21 years doing that uh, task. Uh, met his uh, wife tonight, Carolyn. They have been married uh, 58 years. That's marvelous. 58 years, have four children. I, I don't know the four children. I do know one, uh, Robert. I don't know you think if you call him Junior or not, but Robert. He's Bob, and, he's, and the son is Robert Paul. And I do, I do know Robert Paul worked with him at Oklahoma Christian. Um, his title tonight is The Power of Unity. And I can say that I admire uh, Bob Gregg. Uh, he is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he is a true Christian gentleman, a true Christian gentleman, and a Bible scholar uh, in addition to that. So I've looked forward to his lesson and won't take any more of his time. He would come now and, uh, and uh, share his thoughts with us, Bob. Thank you, Mike. I... Uh... Always, I'm glad to be in the presence of an optimist, and I know that Mike, Mike is an optimist if because he said that you're going to tape all of these, and that's assuming that I don't break the camera tonight. But it is glad, it is good to be with you. We're the first time that I've been here, except for I was here one time for a funeral, and uh, but other than that, my first time to be with you. And I'm glad to be with you. We do have. A lot of connections with you. I'm glad that my wife, Carolyn, can be with me tonight. She, uh, for the last several years, has been able to travel with me after we got Robert Paul out of our hair. He, he, uh, uh, we had the empty nest syndrome four times with Paul, Robert Paul. <laughs> uh, we were lived so close to O.C. He'd come home, and he would mess up the bedroom after Carolyn had got it all fixed up, and then he'd go back, and we'd miss him. And we finally decided that it would be nice just to miss him. <laughs> he didn't marry till he was well into his 30s, and uh, we thought he was going to be an old bachelor, and we couldn't put up with that. But God has a way, and uh, he married the sweetest girl you'll ever know. They're at 
Camp Lujo Kismet down by Lawton this week. He's camp director, and she's down there helping him and a lot of our family. But we have connections with this church, and I don't want to take too much time to talk about that, but we do have connections. I knew Louis Thompson for many years. We met Sister Thompson just as we came in. And Mike and Samantha Thompson and their two boys, uh, Joshua and Matthew, are our next-door neighbors. You have the best neighbor in Mustang, don't you, Mike? <laughs> we do. We do, for sure. And uh, I've known uh, Mike, as he told you, for quite a while. known Marty for uh, quite a while. And known Dayton since he was a, a professor of Bible at the uh, Sunset School of Preaching. But I'm going to embarrass you, Dayton. that okay? Uh, I held a number of meetings at Spade, Texas, which is Dayton's hometown. And uh, there is a little church building there. They're not meeting anymore. Most of the people have died away. But that little church building uh, is sitting on part of the Cassie farm. His family uh, gave the land for the building of that church building. And I met his mother and his sister in going out there and holding gospel meetings in times past. I... um, I do like the the work that I'm doing now, Mike, but um, you might not want this thing of minister emeritus because I looked it up in the the dictionary to see what that word emeritus means, and it's just a nice word for a (laughs) has-been. Really, it's okay, and so we're glad to be with you tonight. I want to read with you from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, then some other passages of scripture as we go along, but uh, we, uh, I want to start with this. Uh, you recognize Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the great statements on the concept of unity, and that's where we want to begin. Let's begin reading in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God places a great deal of importance uh, upon unity. Unity must be very near and dear to the heart of our Lord because the last thing that he did in the last discourse in the Gospel of John is uh, to pray the prayer that included that part that he would pray that God would help all of those who would hear the message from the apostles on would be one as he and his father are one. The great prayer of unity of the Lord Jesus Christ in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. And in our Lord's uh, uh, emphasis, he included beginning with himself and his father and with all of those that God had given to him on earth and all that would follow them. And uh, unity is one of those those biblical, great biblical concepts which is talked uh, a lot about. But like the weather, uh, that many times people don't seem to do much about it. Lip service is paid to the call of unity Uh, in so much of our experience. But the historical truth, as we study the history of Christendom, has uh, has practiced the concept of division far too much. It's well within the mark to say that the greatest, one of the greatest, if not the greatest scandal of Christendom 
is the woeful way in which Christian Christendom is divided into so many different groups and in so many different doctrines and in so many warring concepts. If you go back to the Middle Ages when the reformers and those that followed right with them, some of them recruited their own armies and they lined up in battle like soldiers on the battlefield. And as a matter of fact, one of the great leaders of the of the Reformation after Luther and Calvin was killed leading his army in battle against people with whom they disagreed. Our fellowship has not been able to avoid the terrible travesty upon the prayer of Jesus of division. And we sometimes have not been very good keepers of the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And in fact, uh, in my lifetime, I've seen the brotherhood of, of the churches of Christ divide at least four or five major times and in pockets of local situation, much more than that. And if we look at the restoration movement in Toto and look at the three great divisions of what is sometimes called the heritage of the restoration movement, or some people call it the Stone-Campbell movement, there are three great groups, but... All of them are divided and sometimes uh, are having trouble getting along and uh, have great controversies uh, going on almost all the time. So I want to talk a little bit about that, about uh, unity and the fact that there is great strength and power when we are united. When we are as one, as Paul told the church at Corinth in the first, uh, first Corinthians in chapter 1, that he would have them all speak the same thing. The context of that is in the context of, of Jesus Christ being the Lord and Savior of us all, but he would have them to be united and all speak the same thing. I want to start with just a quick look at where unity begins, the unity of God and the unity of the Scriptures, and then get to uh, down to cases that uh, we know something about. There is certainly a unity in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the way we sometimes hear that uh, stated. Uh, I am not here to tell you that I can explain to you how the nature of, of the Godhead is uh, uh, divided and still one. I don't know uh, how the triunity of God actually exists and happens and functions. But I'm like uh, uh, Brother Avon Malone used to be about a number of things. I don't have to explain it to believe it. And the Bible teaches it, and I believe that God and Christ and the Holy Spirit are in fact one God, and they are united. And it is from them that the concept of oneness comes, and it is upon that basis that we are required and commanded of our Lord to be one in Jesus Christ and to, by his apostle to endeavor to do everything that we can to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But also the scriptures are, are uh, united. The, there's a unity of the scriptures, the unity uh, of the Bible. There's one consistent message that is consistent throughout the Bible from uh, Genesis to Revelation. Our teachers used to say that the Bible is consistently consistent. In recent years, there has been a great movement in uh, scholarship at some levels uh, to uh, seek to take apart the consistency of the Bible by looking at the, uh, at the background and the sources, as they call them, in source criticism of the various books of the Bible, and to, in that way, they become separated. But the Bible is consistently consistent, and it is one word. 
and it is one message, and it is in agreement in every way. There's a profound unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. More than one-third of the New Testament is quotations from the Old Testament, and many Old Testament passages do not make sense without the New Testament fulfillment thereof, such as the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And in the, in the unity of the scriptures, there is the self-disclosure of God, which some say is probably the greatest miracle of all, that God has told us who, him, who he is and disclosing himself to us, and in that way, giving to us our own unity, and that we, our own identity. And we come now then to what Paul had to say about keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort, is the NIV translation, make every effort. When I was a boy growing up on the farm where I got all these beautiful freckles that have turned into skin cancers, <laughs> my dad would tell me when we'd go out, we'd raise peanuts. We did not originate peanut butter, but we ate it like we did. And he'd tell us when me and my sisters, I have two older sisters and two younger sisters, I have four sisters. Before God, they're the four meanest people that ever lived on this earth. But <laughs> and my dad would tell us when we go out to the field to chop weeds that anything worth doing is worth doing right the first time and you ought to do everything with all of your might. And we heard it every day as we worked in the farm and in the also chopping, chopping cotton. Well, Paul says make every effort. The King James quote translates that endeavor endeavor to keep the, uh, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the believers then is the work of the Holy Spirit. Keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Christians are not commanded to create unity. We are commanded to keep unity, to protect it and to guard it and to practice it and to, if necessary, die for it but not to kill each other over our differences of opinion, over the differences of opinion of methods or doctrine or or anything. We are, our charge is to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Unity is set in place by the plan and by the order of God. When uh, Christians are baptized into Christ, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38, and the spirit of God is renewed within us in Titus 5, uh, 3, 5 through 7. And we're all baptized into the one body by the one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. As the people of God, we are charged to keep that unity of peace and to do it bonded, keep it the bonded bond of peace. In our calling to keep the unity, the oneness created by God, provided by the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, this is an awesome calling, isn't it? It is something that is as precious as the precious blood of Jesus Christ with which he purchased the church, as Paul told the elders from Ephesus in Acts, the 20th chapter. And we are to endeavor. It is to be our endeavor to so cherish the body of Christ, the church, to so cherish what God created in Christ on the cross and through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit, that we guard it with our lives. The basis of the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is something that we need to discuss thoroughly in our brotherhood. 
actually the basis for unity is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul says in our text, there is one Lord. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is imperative that we understand that all believers are called to honor Jesus Christ as Lord and that God is the God of all, through all, and in all and that we owe uh, all of our allegiance, heart, soul, and destiny to the one lordship of the lordship of the one uh, Lord Jesus Christ. He, He alone is the foundation of the church, the head of the church, and the Savior of the church, and the foundation of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Ephesians 5, 23, 1 Corinthians 3, and verse 11. He alone is the king of our lives. Not our pet peeve, and not our pet viewpoint, not our pet doctrine. He alone, Jesus Christ alone, is to be the king of our lives. And he is, uh, as uh, Timothy says with God in First Timothy 6.15, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is him that we honor when we keep the unity of the Spirit being bonded together in peace. In Revelation 17, 14, and 19, 16, Jesus himself is specifically identified as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The oneness of faith is something that Paul also mentions in this text that we read. Our submitting to the rule of Jesus as Lord of our lives is part of our being united in the oneness of faith with all of those who believe in him and in whom they have been baptized in the one faith. Our following the teachings of the one of the faith, as Jude stated in Jude 3, must be done within the context of the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the Lord's kingship that we dethrone when we divide the church that he died for and purchased with his own blood. A fallacy of thought that contributes to the rapture, rupture that unity causes is the idea that we will base our unity upon our interpretations of the scripture. And please, don't get me wrong. There is no other foundation for our faith in the one Lord and in the one God and the one Spirit and all the oneness except the inspired word of God. Every word given by the Holy Spirit, written down by the writers on the autograph documents, as I believe, dictated by the Holy Spirit. I have no shame in uh, holding to the plenary dictation, understanding uh, of, of inspiration. But our understanding of the scriptures is not all the same. I know that Dayton can see is studied the Bible a lot longer than I, than I have, and I'll be, I turned 80 in January, Dayton. And I know that he, he could teach me many things. But I also know that uh, my grandson, who plans to be baptized tomorrow night at camp, is certainly not at the level of almost anybody in this room. But he will be, if the Lord lets the world stand and we immerse him, He will be joined to all who believe in Jesus Christ and who have been immersed into the body of Jesus Christ for which he died, the church. And we would not expect him to know so much as 
uh, his daddy knows or uh, anyone else that has been ex- had experienced as Christians for a long time. And we would probably expect that some of our young men in our Bible classes at Oklahoma Christian University who have not had the experience of Stafford North or some of the great teachers out there would probably have some viewpoints that they have been studying about that would diverge. That happens all the time, doesn't it? It happens in the church where I've been for the last 30 years. Uh, When I moved there, that church was so woefully divided that Lewis Hale called me and said, why did you go to there to be a preacher? And I said, because, Lewis, I think this is where God wants me to be. They were in a church building about just a little bit bigger, longer than this uh, section here with a center aisle. And the center aisle was the battle line. And there were people on this side would not speak to people on this side. And people on this side would not speak to those, some of those on this side. I've never walked into a more hostile situation, not even when I used to sit behind a 50 caliber machine gun waiting for them to come ashore. It was hostile. And they were, they were a congregation with the worst uh, inferiority complex I've ever known. And now today, I think Mike and Samantha will bear witness to this, that they are a pretty loving congregation when we get the old crackpots on to stay home. (laughs) We did weather that storm, and we worked with three major thought processes and positions on major doctrines for 25 years, and never did divide that church. And all but two of the 70 members that had left came back. And we built, went through three building programs to where we are today. Folks, we do not have to divide when we don't see things alike. And we don't have to divide when we don't see even the most fundamental, mainline, theological, doctrinal matters. I still believe, though I wasn't around when it happened, that the greatest tragedy of the Restoration Movement was the division over instrumental music and that it didn't have to happen. We do not base our unity upon the same, upon our levels of insight and understanding of, uh, of, the, of the scriptures. Well, the, the devil does this work, and when we begin to do the work of destroying the oneness of the church... When we forget that unity is kept by honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, holding in abeyance our mutual misunderstandings of the teachings of the Bible, continuing to talk to each other and love each other and worship with each other and understand that we don't have to settle all these issues by dinner time tonight. We can honor Jesus and find our way through it all. The oneness of faith, the unity of believers is maintained when we are patient with each other at different levels of our understanding of the scriptures. Not giving up on each other, not demanding that anyone see it immediately as I see it, not seeking our own but the good of others as Paul commanded us and taught us, but patiently, lovingly discussing and listening and helping each other grow up as Paul says later in this fourth chapter of Ephesians, grew up into Jesus Christ. 
1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32, Philippians 2, 1 through 4, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 and 14 through 15, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Colossians uh, 3, 12 through 17, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, 1 John 4, 7 and on, and a thousand of many other scriptures that can be added to these that are the teachings of the writers of the New Testament moved by the Holy Spirit to write of how we ought to treat each other and prefer each other before ourselves in, in the body of Jesus Christ. And that if we do that, we honor the kingship of Jesus. And folks, if we do not do that, we do not honor the kingship of Jesus. The power or the strength of unity versus the practice of division. Let's talk about that a minute. Making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, to maintain the powerful fortress of that God has given to us as a bulwark against sin and Satan, Satan and sin, we can stand against the destructiveness of, of the devil. The devil is ever seeking what he can destroy. Peter says to us in 1 Peter 5, 8, to be on our guard, the devil is always prowling around seeking whom he can devour. We all have a blind side spiritually that the devil will find if we are not visually. Vigilant. His great tool is discouragement and division. When brothers and sisters in Christ ignore the exhortations of Scripture, the devil can exploit these differences and these differences of viewpoints and enlarge them in feelings that are hurt and create hostility in the body politic. This is devil work. And when we are caught up in strife and disunity, and arguments that hurt and hinder and close minds, we're doing the work of the devil. Christians doing the work of the devil. I refer us to 1 John 3, 8 and 10, where John Show tells us how we can know who is the children of God and who is the children of the devil. And in that 10th verse, he makes it clear that we are not the children of God if we are not loving each other in spite of our differences. In verse 8, he tells us that Jesus was sent into the world to destroy the work of the devil. That is when he gets his foot in the door, when we begin to forget. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 27, do not let the devil have a foothold. Don't let him get, get into the door. The verse just before that says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the devil have a foothold. Something connected with our short temper and our fiery dispositions that gives the devil a way to get a hold, uh, get a hold of us or get his foot in the door. Divisions and splits in the churches are so often over petty things, personality clashes, and unchristian behavior. Let me just give you some instances of situations I know where church is divided over these things. First, a church that was nearly 300 members that is now 30 members had two major divisions, and the one that took away about half who left was over the fight over what songbook they're going to buy. 
I have often told some of my brethren that our brethren can find some of the most interesting things to fight about. I also know a church that had a great discussion and finally a division and there are two churches in a town of less than 3,000 over what color they were going to paint the walls in the new classroom building. We have seen many times in the past churches divide over fellowship halls. And one church that I know of among our non-cooperative brethren had a division over whether or not they ought to have a water fountain in the church building. That's the reason I brought my own water tonight. And you know why? One of the brethren, one of the brothers that objected to having a water fountain in the church building, objected to it on the basis that money was taken from the church treasury to pay the water bill, and it was his understanding that you ought not to use church money to support in any way those who are not baptized into Christ, and so that it would be wrong to let them have a drink of water in the church building faucet. Now you think about that. You think about that, and you'll know where I'm coming from. I've been in too much of this. And I remember when I read that about that brother, that Jesus said that if you do so much as give a cup of cold water in his name, you will not be forgetting. But that's not all. We've had divisions over Bible classes, Sunday school. We have a non-class church in Mustang that... uh, Several years ago, nearly 30 now because I've been there 30 years, I met with the preacher that they supported as an evangelist. We talked about it. He said, well, Bob, we don't, we don't hold Bible classes as a test of fellowship. We, we fellowship. We'll fellowship you people if you'll fellowship us. Carol and I have been to church over there at that little church. They have about 150 members. They sing the old songs. We like to go. We've almost had a division in the churches of Christ over the new songs. We had to work through that at Lake Homa. And, uh, you know, some of them wanted to sing these 711 songs. Seven words repeated 11 times. <laughs> and then I started listening to some of those new songs, and there, some of them are wonderful songs. Have you all heard this new song, Ancient Word? Marvelous song about the scriptures. And, you know, I've even learned to galvanize my hearing. I'm losing it anyway. And I can listen to some of those songs that do a lot of repetition. Not forever, but I can listen to some of them. We have song leaders that mix it up and sing both. Uh, We have song leaders that wanted to sing during the Lord's Supper in that period I told you about. And one of them did one Sunday, and I was away at a meeting, and I came back to a hornet's nest. And so the elders said, we've got to, let's get together. I said, okay, I'll meet with you. And they named a man that I love very dearly, and they said, well, I don't know what we're going to do with him. I said, let me talk to him, and you all just love him. And next Sunday he came back, and he said, we're not going to sing songs during the Lord's Supper anymore, but we've had a decision. The elders approved this. We're going to sing songs while we take up the contribution." Well, you know, it's nice to sing while you're taking people's money away from them. (laughs) I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we don't have to divide over those kinds of things. 
I know a church that divided over what kind of unleavened bread, whether you have to make it in your oven or buy it. And now there's a, a question I heard the other day, that if you buy the bread, does it have to be the loaf, or can you buy that that's already scored? I wish we just wouldn't strain at gnats and swallow camels and dethrone Jesus Christ. Well, all divisions hurt, but some of them are more major and hurtful than others. I mentioned the instrumental music question. The second coming of Jesus Christ, premillennialism and the AD 70 question have, have been very, um, very troublesome. Uh, we, uh, I got a call from a young preacher today who wanted to know if I'd ever known Foy E. Wallace Jr. How many of you know that name? Oh, good. I knew him the last 10 years of his life. He's one of the greatest minds that the churches of Christ ever produced. We owe a debt of gratitude to Foy E. Wallace Jr., who almost single-handedly stopped the premillennial movement in the churches of Christ, dead in its tracks. But we shouldn't have even divided over that. Orphans' homes and the cooperation controversy hit the the Brotherhood Square in the nose in the 1950s. I came back from overseas in 1953. Uh, The Lord had gotten hold of me as I came through on a back of an Air Force truck off the troop ship over a hill, and there was the Shinto burial ground and idolatrous people bowing down to images of stone that they had carved out and wooden images and, and worshiping them. And it just, I was 19 years old, and it nearly threw me off that truck. And two years later, I came home, and the Lord had tapped me on the shoulder, and I was ready to come home and go to Harding and get a degree in Bible and go to preaching. And I went smack dab into the controversy over whether or not the herald of truth could be supported out of church treasuries. And whether or not orphans home, who had been in place before I was ever born, ought to be supported by church treasuries. I went to Harding. I'd go into the reading room of the library. And I'd get the gospel guardian, the gospel advocate, and the firm foundation, and and the preceptor, and a lot of these papers, these brethren were still in fellowship. And I would read those things, and I would sit there and see brothers calling each other bad names, brothers who had been in the home of my grandfather when I was a kid growing up. From He kept all the meetings, meeting preachers, and, and brothers who, who I loved on both sides. And I wept in that, in that library more than a, a number of times during that controversy. And let me tell you, we lost some of the most biblical-minded brethren when we lost those who would not support orphans' homes and herald of truth. And I was present when one of them made the, when Brother Tant made the, uh, the uh, appeal that if you'll put a box in the vestibule and put your money in there if you want to support the orphans' home until we get this thing sorted out, we'll stay together. And he was ridiculed out of the brotherhood almost for that. I just wonder... If Jesus sheds tears in heaven like he did on earth, let's keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, I'm about out of time. I do want to get to this. What can we do in the face of extensive division and power struggles of personalities and ungodly pride and in the light of the prayer of Jesus in John 17? What can we do? Well, first, the first thing we have to do is to begin with my heart, your heart. 
I have jotted down over the years and refined them in the last few days, ten things that I have to do to be equipped to do to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let me run through them quickly. First of all, I must make an oral and basic commitment to one fundamental truth, that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, I must make strenuous and concerted effort to have Jesus Christ on the throne of my heart in all things. Number three, I must place guards upon my thinking, sentinels to guard my thinking, so as to filter out anything that detracts from Jesus, ruling supreme in my thought and life, and to make conscious, regular, humble, sure searches of my pride that it does not preclude my long-suffering openness toward those who may not agree with views that I have developed from the study of the scriptures. Four, I must reinforce the fact that the truth must always be the truth as it is in Jesus. Number five, I must be willing without reservation to follow Jesus in his truth wherever his truth leads me. That little bracelet some of us used to wear, what would Jesus do? Not a bad idea. When I was a boy growing up hearing R.C. Nickel and J.D. Tant's son and a number of others, Brother Wallace and, and uh, Bomer Guest and Hatton Guest and others preach. They would make the statement, if you're visiting with us tonight and we say something that's not scriptural, you come to us and study and we will change. We want to follow the, the scriptures where they lead us. We stopped doing that. Number six, I must regularly and consistently review my faith and practice to see if I am following pet, con- pet concepts that may be the basis of conflicts in what I think and conflict in the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Number seven, I must consistently review my studies, thought processes, and practices to be sure that what I believe or think I believe is consistent with my Lord and his revelation in the Bible. And to be honest and courageous to reform my position if scripture should demand it. Number eight, I must constantly, regularly, and consistently continue to seek the truth of Jesus Christ and faithfully change my thinking, my saying, and my practice to reflect a deepening insight into into an understanding of the scriptures. That means we cannot stop studying to withdraw our last breath. Number nine, I must maintain an openness to listen to others, to continue talking with those who hold differing views on every issue, small or big, mainline or, uh, or trivial, and refuse the luxury, refuse the luxury of closing my mind and recoiling from contact and fellowship with those who seem never to get it or to get at least what I am saying, and remember that all issues do not have to be settled by dinner time tonight. And number 10, I must deny the tendency of my human mind to allow prejudice to dictate thoughts and actions, and thereby to precipitate division, or to participate in division among my brethren. And then underneath and beyond and around this, I need to be on my knees 
in prayer a lot. And I prefer sometimes just to be prostrate on my stomach. I need to pray more than I do. But our time is nearly gone, and there it is. And I have enough for another hour, and I knew that I had too much. But I do want to say one or two things. Uh, In the second place, we must teach and practice these things in our local congregations. The dividing of the local churches must be addressed with humble submission to our Lord as Lord. The basic commitment of the body politic must be led to actually, vocally, and actively proclaim Jesus as Lord. And the basic action of the whole congregation must be led to actually, vocally, and actively practice Jesus is Lord. I love that song, Jesus is Lord. The congregation must be taught to think and act in these ways, teaching and demonstrating love, patience, kindness, and forbearing. Elders, deacons, ministers, ministry leaders, people like that must lead this movement to lead the congregation to love the Lord and to love the Lord's people to the extent of, the, of sacrificing our lives. Brothers, if, uh, if you are serving in these capacities and you're not serving with self-abandonment, submission to the Lord, repent or resign. It's just that simple. That means that the, that the Ephesus, and if we do that, that means the Ephesus mentality will be killed in us. According to, and it will be, as Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, that some among you will arise and divide the body of Christ. We need to be an open forum in the church. That's what it was in the days of the restoration movement until it was shut. Openness in a local church is essential to unity, and elders will build a foundation for oneness. If all pertinent information except confidential information that would hurt somebody, but all other pertinent information is shared with the congregation. Openness and free. And when things come up to make decisions, building buildings and things, let everybody have their say, but let nobody have their way. Those two slogans, the people that have been at Lake Home a while, heard them ad nauseum probably, but we said them over and over. And we built three, had three building programs and didn't have one single person leave. And we have in one classroom probably the most awful looking carpet you'll ever see. And I have not said that until tonight. Mike, Samantha, raise your right hand. (laughs) Well, brothers and sisters, the divided state of Christendom ought to be a great great concern to us, but we have to start among us in our local churches. Jesus is Lord, and the scriptures are right. And we may not see it right, or we may have it right. And somebody else may not understand it. Don't send them away with a heart broken. Stay with them. And ask them when you are the one that's the odd wheel on the cart to stay with you. Let's bow. Dear God, we thank you that you love us with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you gave him and that he willingly went open-eyed and determined to the cross to redeem us from our sin and to reconcile us to you and to make us brothers and sisters in him. And Father, we cherish 
the brotherhood. We cherish our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to cherish them more in the light of your word and the glorious kingship of Jesus. Bless this church, Father. Please be with their elders and give them wisdom. Humble them. Help them to be always submitted and help them to have wisdom. Be with their deacons and help them to serve and to not to have any kind of murmuring or complaining. And be with the ministers, the Bible school teachers. And be with every member of this congregation that they may reach out to each other in a new way. And that if there's anyone in this group tonight or in the church here that have had uh, differences or have had feelings held back or any kind of anything that is upset among them, help them to come to you, to come to the cross. Come to the cross knowing that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and everybody stands before you equal. Be with us, Father, and bless these things tonight and help us to continue to seek your way with all of our heart and mind and soul. And finally, Father, when you're done with us here on earth, let us come home to heaven and hear the angels sing through an unending age. In Jesus' name, amen.